Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're welcoming Christopher Paquette to the show. Based in Chicago, Christopher is the Chief Digital Transformation Officer at Allstate Insurance, where he's passionate about growth, customer experience, and leveraging digital tech data to drive positive change. His background includes 12 years as a partner with McKinsey & Company with a deep expertise in financial services, driving transformational change, deploying deep digital and analytics technologies, and developing leading strategies. He's passionate about digital and innovation and have served many of the top North American financial institutions over his career, driving cost, growth, and customer experience. He's also led programs to transform technology architecture, implement agile at scale, reimagine customer and operational journeys, enhance digital sales and marketing processes, and reinvent culture to drive organizational transformation. Really excited about having you on the show, Christopher. Welcome. Thanks, Patrick. I'm excited to be here. Christopher, if you don't mind, can you share with our listeners a little bit more about what you're doing? Yeah, happy to. So professionally, I'm just over a year into my role at Allstate, which has been a fun and exciting ride. As Chief Digital Transformation Officer, I'll talk more about this as we get into the depth of it here. But basically, the role is to accelerate digital transformation. And when I came on board, you know, Allstate has always been a forward-thinking organization, and it's not like they had not been investing in digital. But there's a question of where do we do more? How do we go faster? How do we do better together? And that's really what I was tasked to come in and sort through. And so over the past year, I've been busy building a a team focused on all sorts of stuff from transforming customer and employee journeys to automating and digitizing internal core processes, thinking about innovation. How do we embrace some of the new tools that have come out Perhaps you've heard of ChatGPT. It's great, quite a stir. And so figuring out how to use new conversational technologies like that has been a big part of it. So lots of fun over the past year. Briefly before then, I was chief digital and strategy officer for another insurance company focused on life and health. And then at McKinsey, as you said. And so in some way, shape or form, I've spent my career thinking about the power of technology, digital data analytics in financial services and really with kind of that strategic lens of how do we use this thing to do more and go faster. So I hear this term all the time and I think it means a lot to a lot of different people, but what is your definition of digital transformation? What does that mean? Well, so I could probably spend the rest of the time (laughs) talking about that. And you could ask me all the questions that I could give all the answers. I'll try to be brief and give my own version. I don't know that there's a right version either, by the way. But I, I would always go back to the why behind it. So like asking why would we digitally transform leads you to what is digital transformation. And I think the why, I always talk about it as two parts. One is protecting the core of what the business is and how you create value, and then disrupting. Disrupting the ecosystem, creating new products, creating new services, new revenue models, new routes to market. And between those two, protect and disrupt, you really kind of have the waterfront covered for value creation. 
And so ultimately, digital transformation is about how to create more value through technologies, which are largely customer facing, or at least customer impacting. And so therefore, there's a bit of customer experience in there as well. So that's kind of the why of digital transformation. It provides a nice foundation to say like, okay, what is this thing? So it's about protecting, disrupting to create value for customers. If you say like, okay, great, what's the what? Like, what are the things? What do you go do in digital transformation? Well, that's where it can be really broad. And so generally, I think about it in five buckets. I think there's you know one bucket of digital transformation stuff that you go do that's about core underlying processes and getting them right for a digital world. And so this is like reimagining experiences and asking like what might've been 10 steps before in, a, in some operational process. Like, can we make that five steps or three steps or one step or no steps? And how do you rethink those underlying flows? So that's bucket one. And then buckets two through five all kind of flow together. There's an aspect of how do you build better connectivity on top of those better processes with your customers and, and the users, so those connectivity. That leads into automation. So once you've established that digital connection, you can automate it. And you can say, well, we can build bots to do this or core system flows, or if it's RPA or something else. So there's, you know, let's automate. So connectivity, automation, it leads into decisioning. And so how do you take the data trail that's created by automating and make better decisions using the data that's now in the system? And then that decisioning leads to pattern recognition and delight in the underlying intent and really understanding what your customer is trying to get done that enables the last thing, which I would say is innovation. And that idea of like the repeat and learn and reuse quickly that feeds back into the overall thing. So that, that's how I would you know talk about the why, the protect and um, the disrupt. And then like the what I generally put in those five buckets of like underlying process and then connectivity, automation, decisioning, and innovation. And I've used that framework. You know, I'm like a structured McKinsey consultant's kind of a pointy head type. And I've used that definition for the past, I don't know, eight or 10 years. And like, it's still right. And it's kind of timeless as a way to think about the power of technology and digital and data, even in the age of current large language models and all the crazy stuff that we're going through now. There's a lot there to pull apart, but it, it's awesome. I think that's really cool and interesting stuff. You mentioned decisioning, right? When I hear decisioning, to me, that means artificial intelligence. Yep. So that's something that you've been working into these models for a while then. Because I think that what we hear now is a lot of people are kind of putting the decisioning way further upstream from like, how do we do value creation versus, you know, what you're doing? I guess the power of AI and I'm not even really responsible for it at Allstate, to be clear. And so it's like a partnership of pulling in other companies, especially our chief data officer, a guy named Eric. And so if his team is responsible for the data scientists and building the models that are actually driving the decisioning, my team works closely with him of saying like, okay, where do we want to deploy some of those models? And I think to your point, Patrick, like they could be further upstream of like, how do we predict what a customer is going to call for next? and make a decision, therefore, to, for example, answer the phone. If I know it's you calling and you just made a claim payment, I bet you 80% of the time you're calling to say, did you get my payment? And so we're going to make the decision way up in the value stream to say, if it's Patrick calling and he just made a payment, we're going to answer the phone. The first thing we're going to say is, hey, Patrick, we got your payment. Is there anything else that we can help you with today? 
If so, press one to blah, 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 or, or state your intent. Mm. And so like you can think about it further upstream like that. You can also think about it further downstream, which is, you know, I'm at the point of selecting a policy to purchase or to renew. And, you know, I might say like, well, what are the best options for Shelly and, you know, renewing her policy? Let me pick the options. And what do I know about her? And how do I make that decision to get to like a good, better, best or whatever, a few options and let her make that choice. And so that there's another example of decisioning further down that we can draw. So Christopher, you've been there only a year. What's the most important lesson you think that you've learned so far? I think a big one is that it's impossible to overinvest in relationships and building belief in what is possible if we kind of all go together. There's the old saying, like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, something like that. And I think that's really true for something as complicated and intertwined and unknown as digital transformation is, especially in an organization that is as big and complicated as Allstate is. And so, you know, I've already mentioned one of the colleagues that I work with, the chief data officer. There's a bunch of others from our chief experience officer and partners in the business and other parts in technology. So I think being really thoughtful about who those relationships are and how to cultivate them is one of the biggest things that I've learned and has really been true. And, you know, this core crew has served as a support. They've served as motivation. They've served as sounding board. They've served as thought partners, shoulders to cry on at at points in time, you know, people to commiserate with and to really energize. And so I think that relationship building is just really, really important. I think that's probably the biggest thing I've learned so far over the past year about working here at Allstate. I'm fairly sure I know how you answer this next question, but I think it's important for everybody to understand, like, why is that important? What has that made possible for you? I think maybe it comes back to the go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. I think the rate of change and pace of change of the types of technologies that are out there and even keeping your finger on them all is one thing that could be really hard to do alone. The fact that really digital isn't a thing in and of itself, it's kind of part of everything else. And so it's like an inherently hard mandate to go and say, well, I'm just going to go transform digital at all state alone. Like that doesn't even really make sense. I don't even know what that would mean Um, (laughs) because there is no digital at all state. Like it's just in everything at all state. And so I think the mandate that was initially given, you know, I like to tell the story the role is to accelerate digital transformation. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And they were like, well, we're open that you would come and tell us. And so like that was the start of the whole thing. And therefore the initial process was even figuring out what needed to go be digitally transformed. And the answer to that was like, well, kind of everything, but it's embedded in everything. And so therefore you have to have those partnerships all over the business because that's really where the digital transformation is taking place. I probably didn't say that super clearly, but it's because it's embedded everywhere. And so you have to be embedded everywhere too. It's an interesting role, right? When you talk about either digital transformation or the chief digital officer, because it's not a silo discipline, right? Like you, you really have to like from the financial systems, right? To everything, to HR, every aspect is going to be impacted by what you're trying to get accomplished. 
And it sounds like uh, building relationships. And I like to use the word having influence, right, is critical for those types of things. And it's just good leadership, but it's definitely something you've got to, I think people have a, a mis, sometimes a misunderstanding of what real leadership is and they think it's giving orders. Yeah, I like that word, Patrick, and influence. I think it's a great word to describe because in a lot of ways, like I, I don't within my organization have like a whole lot of control or resource. I don't have a thousand person team. It's much smaller than that. So therefore, influencing and really agreeing with other partners, how are we going to get stuff done together has had to be the name of the game. And by the way, like I didn't mention this at the beginning with uh, what is digital transformation, but that's actually part of what digital transformation is. It's figuring out how to work together differently. And it is, you know, the easy word to use is like more agile. It's that, but it's also more than that. And how do you share ideas and how do you learn things quickly and how do you test your way into the market and what is deploying an MVP really look like and how do you fast follow that and how do you get the right folks comfortable with the progress that you're making and all those kind of cultural and operating model and way of working topics have been something that I've spent a lot of time on over the past year as well. So there's almost kind of like the how to digital as well. Our CEO, Tom Wilson, has used the turn of phrase we have to be digital to do digital. And so those types of topics are like, how do you be more digital? And that's something that you have to do with others and the partners and relationships that you have in the organization. I, so many other questions. Uh, yeah, I'm curious that ability to, to understand, I think being a consultant, uh, having that background, one of those things to have influence without authority you touched on, is that uh, something that you learned previously that is just part of like your go-to move when it's when you're dealing with these types of environments? Yeah, I think the short answer is yes. I don't know if I'm an inherently likable guy. Maybe I'm, I was going to say no. I barely know <laughs> you. I'm very sad about That's all. <laughs> or if I'm just like super convincing or maybe very, very confusing. And so therefore people just assume I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'll work. They all work. <laughs> <laughs> These are all techniques. They're all valid. <laughs> but I think, uh, I mean, and actually they are all techniques and you have to pick the right technique to influence and, and get changed on the organization. And like, obviously, I, you know, I don't pretend to know things when I don't know them, that one I was kidding on. But I think it is a role in which you have to be able to apply the software influencing skills to understand people's motivations and how the organization works and how folks are incented and how the politics work and where the bodies are buried and the skeletons of the closet and all that other kind of stuff. Cause it all influences what people do. And at the end of the day, it's easy to say like, this creates value. And so we should go do it. And obviously that's the strongest argument to make of, you know, dollars, cents, happy customers delivering the services that we can do well for our customers from all state. But a lot of times that has to be presented in different ways as well. And so knowing what ways to use to influence, I think is certainly a tool that I probably learned mostly at McKinsey and I've deployed since then, but it's an important one in my role here. I think it's an important role for all leaders, right? Like yeah. you're going to, you know, the idea that you're, I know sometimes people react poorly to this word of influence as if you're using some kind of magic on people, but to deploy influence or to create influence means you have to 
understand other people's motivations. And you only do that by getting, like you mentioned, you can't overinvest in the relationships of understanding what is this person's motivation. And I think it's tremendously impactful when you're trying to align people because I think that's, you know, your job is to align people around like how are they going to be part of the confluence of all of these needs to achieve you know, you mentioned the core earlier, right? Like, obviously, we have to keep making the money that we have. And then what you're trying to do is create the opportunity to make the money in the future. What is the most important thing when you're starting something like this? What is the thing that you use to come back to regularly to keep everybody moving in the same direction? I think I'm going to give two answers. So the first thing you got to come back to, and it's a word we use over and over and over again, is outcomes. And what are the outcomes that you're driving for? And it's just a different way of saying the why, right? So the, the same like protect the core and then disrupt. But the outcomes that we're shooting for is thing number one. And by outcomes, I don't mean we've put the new feature into the mobile app or there's a new widget or we've like released a new automation within the chat bot or we can contain this intent or whatever. Like that's a thing, but it's not really an outcome. The only valid outcomes are customer satisfaction or money, right? One way or the other. So I think continuing to come back to why are we doing this? What are the outcomes that we're shooting for? Do we have goal alignment all the way up to the top is so important because if not, then people are going to do what they're incented to do, which is to meet their goals. And if their goals are different, then people aren't going to work together well. And so I think coming back to these are the outcomes, do we all agree? This is how they all ladder up, I think is thing number one that I keep coming back to. And I think thing number two is my own vision, our own vision that we've established for digital at all state. And it's not a digital strategy because I don't believe that there is such a thing. I think you just have a strategy and I think digital has to enable that strategy and create the value and reach the outcomes. But what I've been calling it is our kind of three speeds of digital transformation. So three plus one, the three speeds, fast, medium, and slow, which are, there's a fast speed, which is a highly rigorous way to evaluate processes from a bottom-up basis, optimize, eliminate what you can, automate. It's kind of like core system digitization and this whole thing of like what took 10 steps in 10 minutes before can take one minute and one step in the future. There's the medium speed of transforming journeys and experiences. And then there's the slower, longer term speed of um, really thinking through the digitally transformative ideas of the future. And then the plus one is just, we have to do all that with consistent tooling and standardized digital capabilities. And so this vision of three plus one, the three speeds plus digital capabilities is like a, a very simple way. Hopefully I've explained it simply here, but a simple way of keeping everyone aligned on what is our plan for accelerating digital? It's like, it's those three things. Those are the three things. And so we've stood up an optimization factory to drive process. And, you know, that that's how we've kind of structured our approach. So that's the second thing that I keep coming back to. So outcomes and then the, the three plus one, which is our approach to digital transformation. That's awesome. I, I love the, the details on, on the outcomes because I think some people might invert what you were focused on, which is the external, right? the real numbers, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to more of, I don't want to call them tactical, but more roadmap achievements, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, hey, we, we got this done, we got that done. Are there 
like I always think about scorecards about how to create change. And when you think about driving to some new reality, what is on your scorecard that's a leading indicator that you're, you're making good traction? So I think there's always a need for leading indicators as well, but I would call them leading indicators and not, not outcomes. And that was kind of the, the distinction I made before. And so some of the leading indicators that we look at are a bit more of the operational widgety kind of things and like what's the volume flow and containment. And so, you know, I think of one easy example to give, and it's pretty intuitive and not rocket science is within our servicing space or what we call like when customers want to manage their relationship and interact with us, there's a whole bunch of things that they might want to get done. And this is like, I might want to add a driver to a policy, or I might want to change my address, or I might want to change my billing date, or I might have a question about payment. So it's like, it's all the stuff that you do that is not claims once you're already a policyholder. And in that space, it's to use a different word, it's like service, right? And in that space, it's all about what are the intents and how much does it cost to fulfill them for a customer and do it well so that the customer is happy. And then you get into all the complexity of like, well, yeah, but via which channel and how many calls and could they do the thing on the app? And did they go from one channel to another? And did they talk to their agent? And like, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. And like, maybe they have more than one intent for in a given call. And so like, it gets complex, but ignore all that for a second. The simple indicators that we use intent by intent is to say, how often did a customer start something digitally? How often did a customer finish that thing digitally? And how happy were they? Mm. And like really simplifying it down to those three things, starts, containment, and satisfaction really gives you a good indication of like, okay, within that little piece of the puzzle, how much is it costing us? to keep our customers happy per transaction because we have to have happy customers. We're going to get there, but we want to do that as cheaply as possible. And so those are the leading indicators that we use for that particular part of the business. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Christopher, when we talked to you last time, you said that joining at the right time of the year was really important for this role. I think you joined Q2 last year. Can you tell our listeners more about that? Yeah, I don't know if there's any science behind it. It's maybe more of a an observation than anything, but I think it's, you know, one could say that joining in Q2 gives you enough of a runway in that year to get some stuff done and also enough leeway where if you start on January 1, like the strategic plan for the year is still fresh and you might feel a little bit constrained by like, well, I got to do whatever the plan was. But if you join, you know, towards the end of Q2 or or whatever, there's a little bit more leeway to shape based on a more real-time analysis of the needs of the business. And so I think joining Q2 is pretty cool because we're well on our way into the year already and afforded me still plenty of opportunity to get a lot of stuff done in 2022 and uh, to strike that roadmap myself. So it was, uh, it was good timing. Well, I know uh, I've got about a million more questions, unfortunately, I don't think we have that much more time, but I did wait. One of the topics we talked about before is uh, something that you're, you're personally passionate about, the People's Music School. Did you want to tell everybody about that? Yeah, thanks for asking. So this is, uh, I'm actually going to start in a slightly different place. You know, outside of work, my day job is digital transformation officer. My weekend job is 
as a active musician and father of three girls who are all deeply into music. And so you put together some of those interests of like musical education for kids and performing and playing. And I grew up musical and I play a bunch of instruments and it's always just been an important part of my life. And even to the point where when I was at McKinsey, we had a McKinsey band and we did a Battle of the Bands competition in 2019 with Bain and BCG. And they were very, very gracious when McKinsey swept the floor um, and <laughs> won. <laughs> which was awesome at the Vic Theater in Chicago. It was just like a really awesome. good time. And we raised, I don't remember how much it was, like 50,000 or something for charity and did some good. And there was you know maybe a thousand people there. So it was like a real rock show. And for anyone who's seen whatever movie that was, Jack Black, like one great rock show can change the world, right? And so like mm-hmm. you live by that. And great connectivity. And, and it was just really, really fun event and brought each of the firms together independently but also together. It was just kind of fun to interact with them too. So fast forward to six months ago, I'm thinking, you know, I've left consulting. I'm now an operating executive. And like, I see really, really clearly that there's a big need, especially coming out of the pandemic for an opportunity to build connectivity with in corporate culture. At the same time, there's People's Music School, which the lead singer of my band is the CEO of. And they do really, really cool work for about 750 underprivileged kids all over Chicago. And they give completely free music lessons on, I think, 21 different instruments. And it's just like an amazing, amazing mission. So if anyone's listening to this, go check them out and make a donation. And Peng Miriam, who's the CEO, because she's doing an awesome job there leading that. But anyway, fast forward, like, what am I currently excited about? I'm excited about repeating the Battle of the Bands idea, but doing it with iconic <laughs> Chicago corporations and using that to benefit people's music school. And so we're in the, the early stages of trying to get a plan for fall of this year at the Riviera Theater, which uh, the owner of has you know, very graciously agreed to help us out. And he's excited about the mission as well. So anyway, just kind of a plug. Awesome transforming kids' lives, different type of transformation, but it's just a, a really great organization, People's Music School, and should be good for the companies that join us too. Well, I think uh, transforming children's lives, probably the most important work we can all be doing right now, right? Create a better future for everybody. I think it's, uh, you You want to get to the root of the issue. I think that's that's probably about as close as we can get. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really amazing that uh, you and your friends are focused on that. I am curious what's your favorite instrument uh, to play, it's got to be the drums. That's what I play wow. in the band. And it's like, so I play piano. I don't play anything particularly well, to be clear. I'm like... So you, you know, know he's good. Right? Yeah. If, if, he was, if he was saying, I'm I'm awesome, now you know he's terrible. It's like the guy who shows up for <laughs> hockey with like new gear. You're like, that guy's terrible. But even if you're bad at the drums, they're still fun because you just <laughs> hit the hits. Uh, I played trumpet because I just didn't feel like I was loud enough. That was real yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, nice. Nice. So, you still play? I do not. I do not. But my my kids got into it for a little while, and I had a son who played the trumpet and a son who played the saxophone. And, you know, one of the big changes, I graduated junior high in, like, 87, high school in 91. Sheet music was, like, uh, this unattainable gold that like now they can just download stuff from the internet where it's like they're playing like the star Wars anthem without even really trying where I remember that was like a three year effort to try and get sheet music in in the early nineties. And now it's like, yeah, you just download what you want. But yeah, having two kids playing 
in the house just for fun was was a blast. So I think music does a wonder for it's amazing to me the overlap in engineering and music. How many folks that I know who are in engineering, they're either in the marching band or some kind of concert band in college. I also think there's something about being in concert with others is very similar to being on a software team, right? You're expert of your equipment, your tool, you know your seat, you know your role, but you have to play well with others. And I think that's very analogous to being a solid member of a software team and many other teams. You're not really competing against somebody other than just trying to get better as, as a team. So I think there's there's a lot of overlaps there. And I, I, I've seen that throughout my life when it comes to like a number of companies I've worked at where there was not just one band, but a couple of them because, and there's always that weirdo French horn person like, yeah, let me be in. It's like, yeah, yeah. French horn. You, know, you got a bassoon somewhere, maybe? <laughs> hey, there's a reason that uh, us band nerds go on to have very, very successful careers, I guess. It's all that, all those collaboration skills and working as a totally, team. Totally, totally. And, you know, knowing you're not first chair and figuring out that you're the role player in this, right? So Everyone has somebody, a part. Everybody's got a part, <laughs> right? So, Christopher, thank you so much for taking the time. Good luck. Allstate is obviously, you know, one of the gems of Chicago and somebody that we're all polling for. I know you guys are going to keep doing awesome work. And I'm really excited to see what, what new features, functionality, and what you do uh, to, to move them to the next level. So, Congratulations again. Uh, hope you come back and visit with us, maybe. I'd be honored if you'd let me come back. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Shelly. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. We also want to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.